I want to pick up just for the rest of this year on Wednesday nights, which is tonight and a couple of more. And we had a we had a big break in our series. Who and what is the church? Who and what is the church? We had a big break, and um, I want to finish it up by focusing more on this church, this congregation of people, um, and just talk about some things that have to do with the church and what what church life looks like from the perspective and the vision of this body. And so tonight I want to start in Matthew chapter 16. It was one of the foundational scriptures that we've read out of as we've taught this series. If you haven't if you haven't heard these messages, you can go back, go to um, our app or website and listen or download these. They're there and they're free. You can listen to them. Um, but you can catch up in some of what we've taught. Uh, I think probably for about a month and a half we taught on who and what the church is. And so tonight, <clears throat> I want to start in this passage starting in verse 13. And it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So what he was saying, he didn't, get, he didn't get this revelation that he just threw out there to the, the whole group. He didn't get this revelation just from natural knowledge. It wasn't revealed to him from the natural. It was revealed to him by Father in heaven. And he said, and I also say to you that you're Peter. And the name Peter there is, and we talked about this in in some of the earlier messages, that the the name, his name Peter is rock, but it's a certain kind of rock. And he said, he said, you're Peter, you're a rock, but it's on this rock I will build my church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. One translation says, whatever you bind is what has to be already bound in heaven. What you loose has got to be what he already says is loosed, that you have the right to and the authority to loose. That's the authority that he's given us. There's two things I want to focus on right here in, in talking about the church. Number one... Jesus said, Jesus, the head of the church, said, I will build my church. Jesus is building his church. And and what he's building the church on is not, has, has nothing to do with how the natural realm thinks that you should build the church has absolutely nothing to do with it. 
It has everything to do with revealed knowledge. It has everything to do with revelation that comes from the knowledge of who God says that He is. He said, I will build my church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And He said, I'll build it on the revelation, Peter, that you've received this revelation from. Only from revelation will I build my church. The church cannot be built on gifts and talents. The church has to be built. The church that Jesus is building is revelation. Why? Because it takes revelation for people to be disciples, not just knowledge. Anybody can gain knowledge. My first year philosophy teacher in college had a lot of knowledge of the Word of God. He could quote it frontwards, backwards. At that time, I was saved for about a year and just dangerous enough to get in a fight with a philosopher that could tear me up with Scripture because he understood it up here. But he had no revelation because he made fun of it. And he made fun of God. And he made fun of how that God repeated himself and was a schizo because he'd say one thing in Scripture and then he'd say something else because he had no revelation. You will not build the church that God is building on anything but revelation. Never. Because he can't build his church with undiscipled people. And discipled people are people that have spent and developed in their life revelation that came and that has come from the knowledge of God's Word. It takes time to develop revelation. Revelation just doesn't come out of the sky somewhere. You don't just pray in tongues for an hour and get all the revelation of God's Word. It's something that becomes a part of your life. You develop it. It's something that from this day forward, you live your whole life until you leave this planet developing revelation of who God is. That's the church. And that's the church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And that's the church that church life throughout this country, throughout this nation, throughout this planet, church life that we call it, it's His church. We're building it His way. And He said, on this rock is how I build my church. If the head of the church says that's how the church is to be built, if we're building the church any other way, it won't work, and the gates of hell will prevail against it. Everybody say, I'm the church. That's a true statement. But the, but, but the extended truth to that is that we're the church. Everywhere. Can you say amen? I mean, everywhere. From one end of this planet to the other, there is the church. The church. The church that he's building. We're a congregation of people that are gathering in this place, but we've got to build this congregation and the people in this congregation the way he says to build or the gates of hell will prevail against us, individually, corporately. So, one of the questions in the title, <clears throat> what is the church? And 
in our series as we've taught, we've, we've made the point that the church is the source for faith. And it's where to develop it in a safe place. The church is the source of faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you'll never learn about what faith is. You, you, you could grab maybe a thousand people in this city and ask them the question, what is faith? And man, you get hundreds of answers. Hundreds of answers what faith is. Some people attribute it to their denomination, you know? Well, we're of that faith. That's not this faith. Other people can use the word faith in a way that really has to do with presumption. That's not Bible faith. And how do you define something from the Word? How do you define faith from the Word? You find scriptures that tell you what faith is. And the church has to be the source from where faith is developed. And faith has to be able to be developed in a secure place, in a safe place where people can screw up as they're learning how to walk by faith. And not be judged and not feel like you're not good enough because, well, you didn't do something and you didn't, something didn't work the way it should work. The church should be a safe place to develop faith. Safe place. Because under the shadows of His wings and, and in, the, in the secret places where He is, is a safe place. And that's what the church should be. That's what Jesus is building, is a safe place to develop faith. But the church should be the source. No, no, other, no other institution that I've been connected to from the time I was in kindergarten taught me faith. Now, maybe you went to a kindergarten that taught faith. Praise God. I didn't. You know, my elementary school or my junior high or high school or the colleges that I went to, nobody ever taught me faith. I didn't learn faith until I got in the church. Until I began to be developed and planted in the church did I learn faith. The church has been created to be a safe place for faith to be developed. Because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how much knowledge you have of anything. If you're not developing a life where everything that you do is by faith in Him, it won't produce. And we've talked about that in the, in the weeks past. Romans 3, I want to read this, these two verses. Romans 3 and verse 3. <clears throat> Several questions, a couple of questions here that um, are worth looking at and being answered. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief, will a person... Will a person's unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And the answer to that is 
in the next part of the verse, certainly not. One, one translation says, by no means. Another translation says, no way. Another one is, may it never be. Absolutely not. It can't. Impossible. For a person's unbelief to make the faithfulness of God of no effect. Faith is. And faith is of God. And faith, true faith, works. Every single time. Every single time. True faith. But faith has to be developed. He said, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you're judged. So, if you and I don't believe, does it change the faith of God? I say absolutely not. Does faith, if faith doesn't work, does it mean that faith doesn't work if you don't get results? No, just means there's more developing that has to go on on the inside of you. Because faith works every single time. So when it doesn't work in me, it doesn't, it, it, that doesn't mean you don't have faith. But what's lacking is a development of that faith in a specific area. Why, why should we be offended by something like that? We ought to take that and move with it and grow in ways we've never grown before. If I'm not getting results in a certain area, and, I, and I'm doing what I know to do, there's more to be done. You know why? Because he's already done his part. Now we're learning to have faith and confidence to receive everything that he's done for us. That's what the church is about. And I'll just say this, that's what Gates of the City is about and has been about for 32 years. We're about teaching people faith and not being afraid if people don't like the faith we teach. Because if you don't put it out there, people aren't going to get it anywhere else. They're not going to get it from most learning institutions. They're not going to learn how to develop faith. It's got to be done in the church. It's difficult. It's hard. It's difficult because of the potential of stepping on people's toes, offending people, hurting people. That's why you have to, that's why it takes so long and so much time to teach it and do it in a tender way so that people don't get offended. And, and especially that people don't think, especially when I'm teaching it, that people don't think that I'm saying, I've got something that you don't have. I may have something developed, but we all have the same measure of faith. Can you say amen to that? God has given us, He's dealt to every man the same exact measure of faith. Determining on how much effort that you put into developing that faith will produce the outcome. And, and I feel like one of the greatest things that we've taught here in 32 years is learning within yourself to take responsibility for your actions. Taking responsibility and being able to admit the fact that, you know what, I haven't done some of the things that God's asked me to do. I haven't been faithful to some of those things. 
when something doesn't work and somebody doesn't get the results that they're looking for, it's very easy, especially when you've been believing God for maybe somebody else and they passed away. They left here. They went on to their ultimate destination. And you, the, the, the potential there is that the enemy will work overtime to convince you that God took that person, that, you know, God was just, you know, he, was, he had another seat around him that was empty and he needed that person to, to take them. And, you know, there's a lot of people that believe those kind of things, that God takes people. He's not the taker of life, he's the giver of life. He just is. That's his name. We're talking about God's nature. If, if, if somebody can show me in here in the Word, if somebody, and, and, and many times people have gotten angry with me over this, and, I, and it was just because of what I taught, and then when I talked to them, I tried to explain it, but they wouldn't have it, and, and so it turned into arguments and, and disagreements about this, but I can't back off from what I know the nature of God. He's not the taker of life, He's the giver. You need to hear me say it, and you need to believe that I believe it. Scripture is very clear. Don't follow after people that are, that are undecided and don't believe what, they, what they're actually teaching. The Bible's real clear about that. I'm confident of it. I've never said anything ever in my life, in 32 years of preaching from this pulpit, have ever said anything to hurt anybody. But everything I've taught and everything we will continue to teach from this point into 2022 and beyond, everything that we will minister will be to develop faith and a confidence that God is who He said and He will do exactly what He said He would do. And will not apologize for it or ever back off from it. In saying that, and this has to always be said, when you see somebody that didn't get the results, don't judge people. Love people. Have compassion on people. I mean, I mean, fill in the gaps and things in people's lives. Pray for them. You know, the, the prayer challenge that I've given you in this body over the last few years about, about really doing your due diligence in praying and believing God for people's lives, the more we do that and the more we sow into that, it's amazing how people's eyes can be opened up. That's why the Ephesians 1 and 3 and Colossians 1 prayers are so vital. They're so vital because the prayers are not you trying to pray what you think off the top of your head and manipulate in someone's life. The prayers are that your prayers are to see the eyes of their understanding opened up so that they can see clearly. That's what people need. People need to be able to see the truth, believe the truth, and see the truth work for them. That's what people need. And I'm telling you, prayer is the, the number one most vital tool to helping people get free and advance in their lives. Not you preaching at them and condemning them and telling them this and that and the other. And, or, or, and, and, and especially not being there to undergird people when something doesn't work. It's our responsibility to be that. To help people that, that are going through difficult times or something, you know, a situation where, they've, where somebody has passed on and, and, and they're hurt and, they're, and they've, they've got turmoil and trouble about that situation. Don't go preach at them and try to fix the whole thing. Just pray for them, love them, and look for the opportunities to minister life to them. We'll always teach that here. Always. We'll always teach it. But we will teach that faith in God is the key 
to people's success, their faith and trust in Him. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> I love this verse, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 4. It says, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from what? Sincere faith. From a good conscience and from sincere faith. From the love of God, good conscience, and sincere faith. True faith. So, if there's sincere faith, then there's unsincere faith. Or faith that's not really real, or developed, or true. And I think, I think people many times can get confused what that really looks like. One of the things that I feel is vital is that what, what we've done in this body for years is giving people the time to develop faith. I'm talking about true faith. I'm talking about sincere faith, faith that is real to them, something that, that where you see it working for you, not just, you know, when, when someone gets saved and they're de- learning in the infant stages of developing faith, a lot of times they need you. People need you, but there comes a time when they're being weaned from having all their dependency on you. You've got to be sensitive to that so somebody's not just trusting your faith, but they're able to come to a place where they can develop their own faith and trust God for themselves. Because when you trust God and you see something work and happen, that's always a reminder that if it happened once, it'll happen again. And that's what every person needs. Instead of just saying, well, you know, Pastor Bert said this worked for him in that area. And, you know, if that's your testimony after 30 years of walking with God, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. Kind of like wearing a pamper at 2 and then wearing a pamper at 20. You need to get rid of the pamper. Can you say amen? We need, we need, to, to, we need to get uh, potty trained <laughs> and advance, right? And that's the way it is with faith. But faith is a real thing. Faith isn't, it's not something that works only sometimes. Faith is real and it works all the time. And that's what has to be developed. Can you say amen to that? Um. In Matthew 7, and this verse I'm just adding to, some of these I've already talked about in the past weeks, but it's been like almost two months since we were on this series, so I read a few of those. But in Matthew 7 and verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. That's an interesting passage, and in looking at it from a life of faith, I believe it's absolutely true. Um, Does it matter what you listen to? 
the Bible says it matters what we listen to, you know? It says, the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And, and, and the more you give to the right teaching and truth, the more it will come. It will continue to come. So let me just ask you this question without, and, and, and I want you to understand, I'm, I'm going to ask the question and then we'll kind of expound on it for a moment. But um, if there's a broad way that leads to destruction and there's a narrow way that leads to life, and the life we're talking about is a, is a life that is developing a faith and a trust in God that can only come through the truth of His Word. Can there be supposed truth that is not really producing for you? You have to ask yourself that question. I, I'm saying to you, and I want you to, this will take a minute to get this out. But I'm saying to you that here at Gates of the City, we preach the truth. Now, the first thought that come to many people's minds is that I'm saying that other people don't. <laughs> the devil said that, not me. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, we preach the truth. And if the truth you're hearing is developing a faith and a trust in God, then it is the truth. But if information that you're hearing is not the truth and it's not producing a life of faith and developing a life of faith and trust in God, then it's not the truth and you don't need to be listening to it. And you need, the Bible tells you, in about five different places in, in the New Testament that you need to judge what you're listening to. You need to be able to discern what's truth and what's error. We have to be able to. It's vital because if we don't develop that, then we just listen to anything that comes along. I mean, I can listen to anything. And most anything that I've ever heard that was preached had some form of truth in it. But I've heard a lot of word that waters down a faith and a trust in God. It like gives you a back door to believing God. Well, if that doesn't work, then you can do this. Well, if it doesn't work to trust Him for health and healing, then well, you just do this. You know, in any area of life, if there's a back door, there's no faith. Because where there's a question about whether faith works... That means there's no faith or there's not developed faith. It's not developed into a place that God wants it to, to develop. And we have to just be aware of that and admit to that. And we have to sh make sure that what we're listening to and what's developing in our life is faith in God. So let me ask you this. Could that mean that millions of people around the world are hearing the wrong thing? I mean, could it? If it's not working for people, could, could people be hearing the wrong thing? See, that's, that's not good with uh, being politically correct. Everything should just be whatever you want to teach and whatever you want to say and whatever 
Whatever will be, will be, will just be. But it can't be that way. It has to be the truth. It has to be. It has to be, listen to me, what I'm sharing with you tonight has to be what he says is so. That's why I, I, I can't tell you through the years how many people have asked me, Pastor, why do you read so many scriptures? Because I don't want what I say to be my opinion. Everything that I've said to you tonight, have I backed it up with scripture? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to. It has to be what he says is so. And, and, and things that revelation that I've gotten from different scriptures, when I expound on that, it may be something and have a, a different twist to it than you've ever heard before, but then you've got to go to the Word and make sure that that's true. But how are you going to get to the place where you're able to judge that if you don't have teaching that challenges you? It's got to challenge you. It's got to challenge you. Breaker one nine. There it is. So, one thing that I that I, I want rid of in my own personal life is I never want to find myself trying to live by faith. I want to live by faith. I want to develop living by faith, but I don't want to live my life trying to live by faith. And, and that's where the enemy that we have out there, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, and his demon forces, they work overtime to convince you that what God has promised, he can't do it. And the way he does that, he has no power. He was defeated at Calvary. He was defeated Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He's defeated. But what he has is lies trying to convince you that what you see or the way something appears to be in the moment is more real than what God has promised. Because, see, it takes faith to believe what God has promised is going to come to pass when you, when you, have, when you have evidence in the natural. Ooh, there we go. When you have evidence in the natural that is telling you contrary to what God has promised you, and it takes faith and a developing of your faith, walking it out until you see the results. And the Bible says if you don't quit, you'll reap. That's why the church is so vital, and the church is a safe place to learn how to develop faith and a secure place, and, 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 a, and a safe place where you're not going to be hammered for not doing things the way, you know, that you should have done because everybody's going to screw up in their walk of faith. Everybody is. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to fall short in, every, in, in different situations. But we don't quit. We keep moving, and we keep going, and we keep trusting in the things of God and knowing if he's promised it, this is going to come to pass. Now, I just want to, I got something I'm going to read to you at the end, but I, but I want to end tonight with this thought. 
In John 14 and verse 30, Jesus made this statement. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. John 14 and 30. Jesus said this. This was close to the end of his earthly ministry, not right at it, but but getting close to the end of his earthly ministry. And he said, I will not talk to you much more, for the prince, evil genius, ruler of this world is coming. And he has no claim on me. Watch this in the parentheses. Jesus said this. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. And he has no power over me. That's a pretty bold statement. But it's the absolute truth. He had the potential of being able to sin and make mistakes, but he never did. And he said, the devil has nothing in me. The one I really like in the parentheses there is he has nothing in common with me. Anger is something that is common with the enemy. There was no anger in Jesus. Strife and division is something common with the enemy, but there was none of that in him. Jealousy and bitterness, unforgiveness, is common with the enemy, but he had nothing in him. And what we're teaching at Gates of the City, what is the church? It's a safe place to teach and develop faith so that we, as we're developing in faith, we can see there's no anger in us either. Why? Because He delivered us. He died for us and delivered us so that we could be free of anything. And He said, the things that I did, the works that I did, you'll do and even greater works. Can we come to a place where anger has no place in us? Only you can answer that. Is that, is that something that is attainable in this life? It depends on how much you develop faith and trust in God and believing in God to see those things that, that the enemy has common with you on the inside of you, out of you. Can we be rid of those things? How much anger do you think that there is in heaven? How much poverty is there in heaven? How much sickness and disease is there in heaven? So there's nothing common in heaven. And Jesus brought heaven to earth to live on the inside of us. So the more I develop what heaven looks like and what heaven thinks about every situation that I face, the more I develop that, hmm, then it has no place in me. I don't know about you, but I've made that a daily confession over my life. Satan, you have, no, you have nothing in common with me. You you have nothing in me. That's a confession. I'm saying that by faith. Because there are things that crop up at different times that are common with him. But I declare every day, you have have nothing on me 
You have nothing on me because I'm connected to him. My faith is in him. He said, you had nothing in him. I'm connected to him. I'm born of him. You have nothing in me. Those are the kinds of things that we have to say by faith and develop that faith to see that happen and manifest and come to pass so that anger becomes a thing of the past. Bitterness becomes a thing of the past. Unforgiveness becomes a thing of the past. You're able to overcome those things because of what he did, not how good you are. Always remember that. No matter what victory you experience, the victory that you won, it wasn't you. It was because of him. You know? Yeah, at the end of the day, you can give yourself just a tad bit of credit that you actually did some things. But the things you did were because of what he did. If they worked. Can you say amen to that? So, I want to end tonight with reading this. This study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And I want to read this to you, and I want to make a point about it. Um, Who and what is the church? I'm speaking for this church. I'm the, my wife and I are the under shepherds of this church. And so we're talking about this church. We have chosen to be patient with people and allow them to hear the word, develop the word, meditate the word, make the word a part of their life. And no matter how long it takes, if in a certain situation it takes a year or ten years, God's shown us you have to be patient because they're my kids and I want them victorious. And that's who we are and that's what we do. And so as a result of that, it's not so much about how many people are free, it's just the fact that people get free. And I believe we're getting better at how to get that into the lives and the hearts of people and not offend them with it. In my early years, I think I was a little brash. Today, I just want what he wants. I don't want anything else. I just want what he wants. And I want to encourage every person in the house. I don't care what your age is, but I want to encourage you in what I'm going to read to you from this study from, um, who was it? Oh, the New England Journal of Medicine that I found. And it says this. An extensive study in the U.S. found that the most productive age in, in, in human life is between 60 and 70 years of age. The second most productive stage of the human being is from 70 to 80 years of age. The third most productive stage is from 50 to 60 years of age. The average age of the Nobel Prize winner is 62 years. The average age of the presidents of prominent countries of companies in the world is 63 years. The average age of the pastors of the hundred largest churches in the United States is 71. 
Average age of the popes, 76. This tells us in a way that it has been determined that the best years of your life are between 60 and 80 years. A study published in New England, this study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine found that at age 60, you reach the top of your potential and this continues into your 80s. Therefore, if you are between 60 and 70 or 70 and 80, you're in the best and second best level of your life. You know why I read that to you? I just came across it. I wasn't looking for it. I just saw it. I, I, it was a, in a periodical that somebody had, and, and I was reading it, and I thought, that's interesting. But you know what that says to me is? I don't care what your age is today. You've got a lot of time with most everybody that's in here. I know, I know a few people are in their 80s right now, but no matter what your age is, you've got a lot of time to develop and it matters more that you develop in faith than anything else that you accomplish because everything else you'll accomplish when you're, when you're trusting and have faith in God will be the result of what his plan is for your life. So often, if we're trying to establish things in our lives and make things happen and come to pass and there's no faith involved, then it's on us. And I'm telling you, you're not a good leader of your life. Because we were created to be helped so that we could lead correctly. When the helper, the Holy Spirit, helps you in your leading, man, you can accomplish amazing things. And I'm telling you, you have a lot of time to develop. Don't be in a rush. Be faithful. Be consistent. Do it every day. Don't underestimate the power of the seed of God's Word and what it's doing to produce things in your life. Amen? And, and tonight, I wanted to share with you that that's what we at Gates of the City believe. Many of you believe the exact same thing that I'm saying. But I felt very important that I put out information tonight that you hear me saying that I truly believe in. And, and as you believe and as you develop in God's Word, there's no limitations to your life, what God can do and what God wants to do in your life. Amen? You know what's really great about the kingdom of God is um, <laughs> God, God doesn't call perfect people. Amen? He's called all of us with a plan and a destiny. And his, his plan is to develop us into the perfection that he wants us in. He'll perfect you. He'll enable you. He'll empower you to overcome in situations in the natural you would never be able to overcome in your life. He will deliver you of things that in the natural you could never be delivered of. And he'll position us in places and cause us to accomplish things in life that we could have never accomplished us trying to do it on our own. So remember what I said. Your best years, some of you are way ahead of you. <laughs> so just enjoy where you're at knowing that when you turn 60, those are going to be your best years if you're developing faith in God. I took this, this, this study from the New England Journal of Medicine, and I thought, well, you know what? That has to do with what we're talking about, and, that, and these will be the best years of people's lives if they're developing faith. 
Amen. That's just a natural one. Man, you, you add the supernatural to what the natural says is so, man, amazing things will happen. That's what I'm expecting. Can you say amen to that?